Ladies and gentlemen, people around the world want to improve their lives, have a good job, and ensure their children have the best future possible. If they cannot do this in their own country, then to stop them moving elsewhere because of arbitrary restrictions is both unfair and actively damaging to everyone. This is why we support free immigration. Now, what do we mean by this? We believe that free immigration is in the best interests of the world. We propose a permanent amnesty on all illegal immigrants, that countries phase out all restrictions on immigration over the next 10 to 15 years. We support things like the EU's free economic zone, which allows the movement of people. And thirdly, those who wanted to move to a different country would go through a simple application and registration process. Now today, we bring you a three-point case under the team line that denying people the right to free movement harms individuals and society. I'm going to be talking to you about the right to move and how, about achieving benefits of it. Sorry, about achieving the benefits of immigration. Then Matt's going to talk to you about cultural benefits. Now, before I go into my substantive, I'd like to briefly explain what we think is going to happen under this model. Because we think there's going to be a net increase in immigration in developed countries. We don't think there's going to be any earth-shattering demographic changes. We don't think all of Eastern Europe moved to Western Europe when the EU allowed free movement. And we think those who become immigrants will bring new skills and contribute to the, the economy of those countries through their jobs, paying for goods, paying for taxes, changing the demographic of that country and diversifying the culture. Now onto my substantive and the right to move. Because we believe all people have access to rights, no matter where they're from. Because we accept everyone should have a decent quality of life and that because of our shared humanity, we're all entitled to it. We think equality ignores barriers and boundaries and simply people should be allowed to ignore those too. We shouldn't be arbitrarily boxed in to the country we were born into. Because first we think if someone wants to do something, they should generally be allowed to do it unless it harms society or indi other individuals so greatly. But because there is no harm of immigration, and in fact because immigration is so beneficial, we think people should definitely be allowed this right. <coughs> because when you were born is random, you have no control over it. It's a false allegiance to make you stay there. Actually, we already allow people to move from one area to another. We point to the example of Matt. He was born in the gloomy northern town of Liverpool. And if he wants to move to the bright lights of London town, we'll let him, for so he can improve his circumstances. We say this is fine if where you're living now is terrible, like Liverpool, or if you just want a better job. We say that Hayden's Wall is just rocks, and the Rio Grande is just a big river. When you move into a country, you do accept a different contract. You have to pay the taxes the government of that country wants you to, and you have to abide by their laws. But the people who want to move into those countries accept this different contract. So we think to say that countries can deny a right to these people because they don't have any duty to them is just untrue, because these people want to have a duty to that country. They want to help that country. They want to positively contribute to it. But moreover, when you deny people the opportunity to accept that contract, you force 
become illegal immigrants because you deny them this right that they should be entitled to. Now, this me on to my second point about achieving the benefits of immigration. Now, this point has two sides. First, I'm going to talk to you about illegal immigration, and then I'm going to talk to you about the position of the country that immigrants moved in. So, firstly, let's look at illegal immigration. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I've already proved to you why people have a right to move wherever they want. But moreover, we think people want to move to different countries. Because sometimes they are facing terrible circumstances. And we don't think this is just refugees. We think it is people living in abject poverty, where their children have no hope of a better future whatsoever. We think these people are literally living hand to mouth. And because the circumstances in the country they're living to are so terrible, they want to move elsewhere. Yes? Will Team England please tell us what they think will happen to a country that in this state when all of its professionals move away because they don't like living there? Okay, well firstly, if, if people want to move, they think we should be allowed to. We actually think they may move somewhere else and then return back because they liked the country they were living in, but they wanted to gain more skills. We point you to the example of Kenya, where 80% of their doctors were trained elsewhere. We think actually people will move from countries to another, and so this sort of shifting population will balance out. But moreover, we don't think it is such a problem if a country does lose some of its population. On the point of information. Alfie, you may look better than in, the me in a skirt than I do. That's why I'm not going to take this POI. Sorry. Okay, so people want to move to those countries. So what happens now? Because we've been desperate to get them. So we think when they're travelling to those countries, they're risking their lives and their safety. We point you to the example of Indonesia, where the Indonesian immigrants will travel on safe and on boats without proper safety regulations and often drown on the way to Australia. But moreover, once they enter that country, we think they're facing terrible conditions. We point you to the example of the Morecambe Bay cockroaches, who are forced to do work without any safety regulations whatsoever. We think, sorry, 12 of those people drowned. This was unnecessary and preventable. Because once they're in the country, they have no ability to argue with those who have got them in. The criminal gangs that have got them in have incredible sway over their lives. Because we look at Texas, where a disproportionate amount of illegal Mexican immigrants die from treatable and preventable illnesses because they're too scared to go to the police, to go to the hospitals and get the simple treatment they need because they live in fear of what happens if they are found out to be illegal, of the fact they will be deported back to the terrible circumstances they originally came from. But now let's look at the countries that they go to. Because we say they're current, illegal immigrants are current, currently arriving anyway because they want to. But once they get there, they're not paying taxes, because a few of them were let in under an immigration cap, but mo most weren't. So they're fueling the criminal spit because of the power of the gangs hold over their lives, because the gangs do get power from intimidation, from the influence they hold over them. Whereas if you allow more immigration, the country benefits from things like the immigrants actually paying taxes and positively contributing to the economy. Secondly, we think this improves tensions. That's the amount we talked about. But thirdly, we think it's also easier for the country to tackle issues of criminality when they're not being fueled by the power they hold over these illegal immigrants. When you can clearly distinguish between the terrible criminal crimes that are undermining the country 
and the immigrants who just wanted to improve their situation in life. So ladies and gentlemen, because every person should be able to safely and legally live wherever they want, I urge you to propose this motion. I thank the first proposition speaker for her speech, and now to open the case for the opposition, I call upon David. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we recognise on Team Scotland today that we represent a nation which is often associated with freedom. A nation where people have died in order to preserve their freedom. And so therefore, it is humbly we come before you today with the acknowledgement that sometimes total freedom is not always the best stance to take. That sometimes we need restrictions on freedom and that complete unchecked freedom causes harm. On side opposition today, we have no problem with, for example, granting asylum to desperate people. We are not in any way opposed to all immigration. What we oppose is immigration that is free and uncontrolled. We think immigration can be beneficial, but only when it is limited by things like quotas. So we think this isn't a debate about whether immigration is good or bad, but whether total unchecked immigration is best for all parties involved. That's why we come to you with three points today. Firstly, I'm going to look at why we think it's the state's duty to limit immigration, to protect its own interests. Secondly, the harms of free immigration, which we think backs up this first idea. And then Alfie's going to look at why we think unchecked free immigration starves the developing world. And we bring these three points to you under the team line today that unchecked immigration um, harms the countries that immigrants move to and the countries they leave behind. But before I go into my main case today, let's look at what first proposition brought us. So firstly, we'd ask for some clarification. So we heard like, that people would apply for immigra immigration through a simple application and uh, registration process and that there would be no restrictions. We'd like to ask if they still let people with like, criminal records go into countries, ladies and gentlemen, if the like, US restrictions on criminal records at the moment, if they would be abolished, because we think then that harms the interests of that. So we think there's a definitional issue there. And then they brought us two arguments. Firstly, the right to move. So we think, like, Alice analysed this by saying, like, we think they have this right because there's no harm to immigration, ladies and gentlemen. If we can prove, like, if we, the fact that there's no harm that immigration causes to those countries means that people have the right to move freely. So we think that implies that in opposition today, if we can prove that there's a harm to the countries of free immigration, of total unchecked free immigration, we think we defeat this argument of right. We think, so, therefore, like, we can win the debate through that. And she kind of analysed this point further, talking about like um, Matt moving from Liverpool to London. So we think there's a difference, ladies and gentlemen, between movements in, in a country, like internally in a country, and a large influx of people from outside that country coming into that country. We think that upsets like the kind of the economic balance of that country. We think that's a very big mistake. And then finally, under this point, we had the assertion that economic migrants want to help the country and want to bring a lot to the country. We don't think this is always the case, ladies and gentlemen. We think sometimes they just want to go for their own interests. And then secondly, we heard benefits to countries, ladies and gentlemen. And we heard this under two strands. First of all, illegal immigration. So we think the best way to tackle illegal immigration, ladies and gentlemen, is to improve the situations of the people in their countries, ladies and gentlemen. If people are living in desperate situations, we need to improve that desperate situation of that country. The way to do that is not by sucking skilled workers and people that can actually contribute to that economy out of that economy. 
Uh, and we think secondly, ladies and gentlemen, like we argue that Mexicans were too scared to come forward to the US government for fear uh, for healthcare and stuff, for fear of being deported. We think therefore under their motion, if you then have a huge influx of, uh, of immigrants now demanding public services, ladies and gentlemen, that reduces the quality of those public services for everyone in that country, ladies and gentlemen. No thank you. And then finally we heard like the benefits of the countries they go to. We think, well, I'll address this in my substantive, ladies and gentlemen, we think that these benefits aren't actually real. On that topic. No thank you. So, why do we think states have a duty to limit immigration? Because we think what proposition have to prove to us today is that total unrestricted immigration is beneficial to countries. We just have to prove that some restrictions are necessary. So we recognise today that the primary function of a state is to protect its population. Protect its population in terms of the economic interests of that population and in terms of the social interests of that population. Why? Because we think like people invest this duty in the state through things like paying taxes, through things like, like putting the power in the state and electing a state to protect their own interests, ladies and gentlemen. We think in order to do this, a state and an internal part of international sovereignty, ladies and gentlemen, is for a state to be able to control its borders, ladies and gentlemen, to be able to control and be aware of who is coming and how many people are coming in and out of that country, ladies and gentlemen. We think that's necessary for a state to be able to plan economically. Yes, please. We'll just register the people coming in, but once people immigrate, uh, immigrate to the country, they'll pay okay. taxes becoming part of that system. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, so we've got a few responses. Firstly, we think under quotas, you can allow for the certain number of people coming into that country. Under free immigration, you have no idea how many immigrants are going to come into that country in that year. They brought us the example of Eastern Europe in their definition. We think under that case, when Poland joined the EU, ladies and gentlemen, they expected 30,000 immigrants to come. Uh, it turned out that 150,000 immigrants came, ladies and gentlemen. We think that's what's going to happen under their motion. Secondly, we don't think we're going to see a huge increase in taxes because we think the kind of skilled workers are going to, that are going to come in are low-skilled workers that aren't going to contribute as much to the economy and that are going to send things home through remittances, ladies and gentlemen. We don't get a, a, a greater amount of money in the economy. We don't think we get these economic benefits, ladies and gentlemen. So we can see this right, the state's right to protect things with analogy with free trade, ladies and gentlemen. So we accept that states are allowed to accept, like, erect trade barriers, ladies and gentlemen, are allowed to subsidise industries in that country to protect the economic interests of that country. We think the same principle applies here. We think they can restrict immigration to protect the economic interests. So we've established the rate that states have a duty to protect the interests of their population. Why do we think this applies in this case? Why do we think there are harms not of immigration, but of free immigration? So we think, like, what's going to happen under their motion is we're going to have a large influx of people into these countries. We've already dealt with that with the example of Poland. What do you think is going to happen? Firstly, there's going to be effect on the jobs market. We think like states aren't going to be able to meet the demand for jobs, ladies and gentlemen, with a huge supply of unskilled workers. We think that's going to lead to things like unemployment and increased unemployment, ladies and gentlemen, for the people in that country because there's simply not enough jobs to like to deal with these people coming in. But secondly, we think that the jobs are already in place, there's an effect on them. So what do we think like a large influx of people will do? We think it will lower wages, ladies and gentlemen. People will be made to like will be paid less to work longer hours, ladies and gentlemen. So we think that might be fine for an immigrant, ladies and gentlemen, but what about the people that are already in that country? What about the people like, that have to deal with the costs of living in that country, ladies and gentlemen? We think their wages are going to be driven down. We think they're going to have to work harder. We think it's going to have a negative effect on the people in that country. We think, secondly, it has a, a, an effect on the services in that country. 
So we think, firstly, it overstretches resources because we don't think you have just workers coming in, we think you have their families coming in. Yes, but if these people come and pay taxes, being services could improve. Would you stop children from getting okay. public services? Ladies and gentlemen, we've already addressed this point by the fact that we think low-skilled workers are going to be predominantly coming in, ladies and gentlemen. We think that reduced revenue in taxes, ladies and gentlemen. We think the fact that these people are going to come in often with families, often with large families, is going to put a huge strain on things like housing, ladies and gentlemen, on health and on education. Uh, so we think, like, that's bad in that sense, with a return of small economic revenue. We think this is exacerbated by the fact that, as I've already brought up, states can't plan in advance, ladies and gentlemen. States have no idea about how many people are going to come into their country in a certain year. We think, like in most countries, censuses only take place every 10 years, ladies and gentlemen. We think that's going to make it extremely difficult for states to plan economically. And we think it's, there's further harms in terms of social harms. So we think, although we think it's not fair to blame immigrants all, necessarily for all these problems, we think undeniably what happens as a result of these economic harms is social harms, is social tension. If you have a shortage of housing and people are crammed close together with immigrants, we think that brings tension between cultures. We think that leads to like things like racist related crime, ladies and gentlemen, like tension between cultures and fighting. We think that's bad for the control of overall society. So because we think we prove to you that states have a duty to protect their own interests and that free immigration under this motion will lead to sufficient harms for them to exercise that duty to protect their interests, I beg you to vote for opposition. Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to thank Team Scotland for being so incredibly welcoming to everyone this week. And it's a tragic shame that in the last eight minutes, that spirit has gone up in a puff of smoke. Because we think by bringing people together from around the world, we've been allowed to share ideas and become better. We've received llama badges from the Peruvians, potatoes from the Irish, and wonderful beaming smiles from the Nepalese. And I feel like I've become a richer person because of that. And I'm sure you all do too. And this is what we want to expand, and this is what we think free immigration can help achieve we're not going to let Scotland kill the WSDC spirit. I'm going to do three things today. I'm going to report what we've just heard coming from David. Then I'm going to take a look at his attacks on Alice's case and prove why that is still incredibly relevant to today's debate. And then I'm going to bring you our final substantive point about the benefits to culture. First of all, let's just very quickly deal with their challenges to our model. So they asked us what we mean by a registration process. We mean simply like knowing who is in the country, getting them on the appropriate registers, getting them the appropriate documentation. They asked us about criminals. We support robust extradition treaties where necessary. But we think if you've committed a crime in a country and done your penance and are now a free citizen again, we're quite happy for you to come and join us. So now let's take a look at what we just heard coming out from David. So first of all, he gave us this idea of states' duties and how they have a duty to provide the best services to their people. And like, this is something we broadly agree with, but we think there's an implicit racism, what David was saying, in that the idea that just because you are born in a country, you inherently have more rights to a quality of services than someone else who is coming in, paying the same taxes as you do, contributing as much to the society, and getting the same services. Like, we're not happy for Latinos to feel like they can't go to the doctors just because you're worried that some people are going to get a slightly less standard medical care. We also don't think that makes any economic sense whatsoever. No, thank you. Like, they gave us this idea that the states have this like massive duty to look after the interests of their citizens. As Alice proved to you, this is in the interests of citizens. This makes these countries stronger, more economically diverse, and as I'm going to prove, more culturally diverse. But we also think, ladies and gentlemen, that you have a duty to make sure that people aren't dying when they're trying to get into your country, and if there is a reality there, that you address it and try and lead to the best situation. No thank you. So then they told us about the harms of free immigration. 
And this was really just more of the same from these. So first of all, we want to ask them, how much immigration is too much immigration? Because they told us that we're quite happy to have quotas. We want a better idea of what these sorts of quotas are going to look like. No, thank you. So then they told us, like, you have no idea of who's coming into your country. First of all, that's why we advocated the transitional period, so countries can get to grips with the sort of numbers of people who are going to be coming into their countries. But also we think we've got basic registration. No, thank you. Then they said that economies are literally going to collapse. Because when you get loads more people coming into your population, the job market simply cannot deal with it. We think actually what happens is you create lots of new jobs. These people need services. Even if this is something as simple as like when you have a large Polish community, you create like Polish food stores and things like this. We also think like low-skilled workers have a very real and massive contribution to lots and lots of economies. That's something we'd like dealing with in the next point. They told us about these standards of services. They said, that might be fine for an immigrant to have to work for really low wages. That's not something we agree with. We don't think it's fine that immigrants are pushed into a social underclass under the current model and forced to accept substandard conditions. We are accepting a reality of the world. We are accepting that illegal immigration is going to happen, whatever these three guys say. We're giving you the most pragmatic solution to deal with it. Go ahead, Charlie. If you don't believe immigrants should be paid low wages, then why do you accept the economic necessity that they're coming into the country will drive wages <coughs> down? I don't think that's the case. We think that if immigrants at the moment come in, they have to work for a pittance because they are not protected by the same basic services as us. This is something that we are improving. If low-skilled workers are coming in, we say, if, they, if, that, if we agree with you, we think, like, implicitly, they earn lower wages. We don't think that's an acceptable characterisation of immigrants. As Alice told you, in her case, like, 80% of doctors who work in Kenya are trained abroad. So we think, like, you get high-skilled professionals too. We don't think you're going to drive down wages. We think you're creating new jobs and a better society for all. Now let's take a look at their attacks on Alice's case. There's a lot of direct clashes. <coughs> so first of all, the right to move. We, like... They don't think they did anything to dispute that this right exists like in a vacuum. We think we've proven why that still stands. Their only challenge was like practical harms, something that we think we have dealt with. Then they talk then about ta achieving the benefits of immigration. Again, we had no heart, we had no response to this point about like both people drowning on the way to Australia, except, well, we should try and solve all the problems in the countries that lead to immigration in the first place. Like, unless you've got literally trillions and trillions of dollars just kicking about behind that curtain, we don't think you're going to be able to do this. We think you need to take a pragmatic long-term solution. No fact. Okay, so now let's move on to my substantive matter about um, the cultural benefits of this model. And there's a lot of direct clash here with the final substrand of David's point about social tension. So my point has two strands. First of all, combating prejudice, and secondly, aiding diversity. So let's look at the first of these strands. Because we think that in, um, intolerance and prejudice are bred from ignorance and a fear of the unknown. And what side opposition creates is a shadowy image of immigrants, something to be feared. As they've said, we only want quotas. As they've said, they drive down your wages. As they said, it's fine for an immigrant to get these things. When you have this sort of rhetoric coming out and this sort of policy, you implicitly state that immigrants are either something to be feared or people who are not equal to others. And that is very, very harmful. First of all, because if you don't have the experience of immigrants, as they have conceded because they are drove into the underground and too scared to integrate into the community, then you can never sort of forge the ties which allow you to overcome prejudices. Secondly, we don't think we see the necessary interaction. So, for example, if your only experience of an Eastern European person is that they've stolen your mate's job by going and working in a condition, um, going working in a kitchen for less than the minimum wage, you are never going to be overcome those prejudices. And I'll take you in just a sec. Actually, I'm not. Yeah, go ahead. 
Why do we need to completely open up our borders in order to get some immigrants into country? Because we think the idea that you have quotas implicitly said that there is less value to the rest of those people who are coming in. Like, if we offered to take you guys out for dinner and said, no, Charlie, you can't come, we think, by definition, um, David and Alfie would feel less welcome. We think if you say to communities, it's okay for some of you to come here, but not all, whereas, like, because we think if you do come, you're going to really take away the things from the English people, which you really, really need, then you feel less welcome in that country. You are less able to have an assertive identity. You are less able to integrate. No, thank you. We don't think we see the necessary interaction. And instead, what you have is a racist narrative fostered on unsubstantiated anecdotes. Like, before I came to Scotland, I'd heard that Scottish people were really grumpy and unfriendly, and Dundee wasn't a very nice city. Once I've arrived here, I found that the Scottish guys are really, really friendly, and that Dundee... that the Scottish guys are really, really friendly. <laughs> we think what we have over time is these prejudices are overcome, and that's what clashes with David's material. Whilst we accept in the short term there may be somewhat of a backlash, we think we mitigate that by our transitional period, but once you recognise these people as equal to you, once you recognise these people as, a, as having equality and being a real and vibrant part of that society, you can start to improve. Very briefly, let's look at this second strand about having um, cultural diversity. Because we think it's really, really boring for a society to have a monolithic culture when you don't welcome new ideas, you don't welcome new people, and you don't have this sort of transition. Instead, what we think is better is when these cultures are allowed to move in and out of one another, they are allowed to become more diverse. We think under their model, by even having a quota, you say to some people they are unwelcome and people are less willing to come out into the open with these sorts of ideas. We think that we lead to a better future. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have proven that denying people the right to free movement harms individuals and society. We want to be the team that welcomes people, not shoves them out the door. Thank you. Thank the second proposition speaker for his speech, and I'd continue the case for the opposition. I call upon Alfie. Chairman, unchecked immigration harms the countries immigrants move to and the countries they come from. We think that last part of our team line is something which the side England have dra dramatically failed to understand today. It is for those reasons that my case is going to focus on how today's motion starves the developing world of the people they really need to see a brighter future. But first of all, let's look at some rebuttal. 
So Matt just stood up today and basically started to talk about how we hadn't tackled his the notion of kind of arbitrary boundaries in and itself. We think, well, David did tell you that at that point ultimately fell if he could prove that they were harms. We think he's, he succeeded in doing that. But okay, if he really wants us to tackle it in and itself, let's have a look at that. Because his entire point is premised on the notion that, say, like the Rio Grande is an arbitrary boundary and that Hadrian's Wall is an arbitrary boundary. So we think, okay, yes, Hadrian's Wall is a load of bricks, but we think on the north side of it, men wear kilts, and on the south side of it, England make awkward jokes about men wearing kilts. <laughs> so we think that while that boundary may ultimately have been arbitrary in the very first circumstance, over a period of time, the differences between the north and the south increase dramatically. We see, for example, cultural differences. And we also see things like economic differences. The fact to say that Mexico, for example, is because Mexico is separated from the United States of America simply by the fact that there's a river there, and therefore implying it basically are the same, is fundamentally a mischaracterization of the problem. With the these nations all were the same, there would be no need for any immigration at all. There would be no need for someone to cross the Rio Grande to get to America. So we think, for example, America's economic needs are highly different from Mexico's. So we think this idea of arbitrary boundaries falls, and so that idea of independent rights also falls. So let's look at this idea of what Matt Slovan told us a bit, a bit more. So he told us that basically what we're doing is allowing dangerous travel to countries. We're saying, well, illegal immigrants are going to drown on the way, therefore we should just let them all come in the first place. So we think, first of all, we don't think his motion necessarily solves a problem with dangerous travel to, say, America. We think if you don't have any money, you're so desperate you have to leave your country to go somewhere else, you still might have to go there on a raft, for example. We think there's still going to be problems with dangerous travel from illegal immigration. But we think, moreover than that, well, ultimately, we don't, we don't have to stand here today and say, actually, illegal immigration by kind of like leaky rafts is a great thing. All we have to do is tell you that actually what we would do is not advocate that and possibly, you know, introduce new measures that prevent that from occurring as regularly as it does in the status quo. No, thank you. So then Matt brought us his case, which was about fighting prejudice. So he told us that kind of we needed this motion, we needed to allow everybody into our country who wanted to come in order to tackle problems with prejudice that already existed in our country. So first of all, like, what causes prejudice? We think there are two things. We think, first of all, either you're just xenophobic. We think, as a phobia, that's not something that can be cured through rational means. We don't think that if you lock a xenophobic in a room with, say, something like, if we, if we don't think if you lock an Islamophobe in a room with a Muslim, for example, and leave them in there, we don't think that's necessarily going to lead to conducive international relations. All we think it might do is kind of provoke some kind of aggressive backlash. We think that ultimately doesn't solve that problem. But we think, second of all, under the status quo, if, you, if we have, say, legal immigration, where we let lots of Polish come into our country, for example, perfectly legally, what tends to happen is that community tends to ghettoise under the status quo already. They don't intermingle into society. We see, for example, significant groups of ghettoization with legal immigration. They tend to come together. And so it doesn't solve the problem of cultural diversity, like Matt told us it ultimately would. But we think, moreover than that, this problem's only made worse through all the harms that David brought you. Basically through an increase of supply of labour, forcing the prices down for everybody in that country. And a massive increase in influx of people demanding public services, reducing the public services for everyone in that country. We think these are conducive to ultimately tearing nations apart and doing more damage for international relations. He then brought us this kind of really dodgy example of us kind of not letting Charlie come to lunch with us because there were three Scots and um, we, there were three Scots and he only had room for two. We think a more accurate analogy would be to say, sorry Charlie, you can't come for lunch with us because if you do, none of us can afford to eat. We think that's the point. That's what Charlie might understand. So no thank you. So let's move on to this idea of starving the developing world. Because what we recognise today is that support for free immigration also must mean, therefore, support for total free emigration. So we think that's what ultimately Team England must stand for as well. 
Typically, the path of migration, and that's something that Dinger considered today, is from developing nations to developed nations. So what my case is going to be about today in moving the debate forward is looking at the implications of this motion for the developing world. Say, for example, people moving from Eastern Europe to Western Europe, people moving from South America to North America, people moving from Africa to North America, for example. So then, let's look at a case study. Bosnia. Bosnia is in Eastern Europe. Bosnia has a great universal from education. It has 97% literacy. Its seven universities are the third highest standard of higher education in Eastern Europe. However, its economy is highly underdeveloped. It does not have jobs for professionals. It does not have many jobs at all. And as such, so, Bosnia uh, tops the brain drain list. Yes, please. Might that have something to do with a war that is on these Let's look at your Kenya example. 80% of doctors trained in Kenya, or 80% of doctors in Kenya were trained abroad. So that's first of all tells us nothing about these, who these, what nationality these doctors actually are. We, we'd like to ask you where all the Kenyan doctors have gone in the first place if the demand has to be made up by people trained from overseas. So, no, thank you. But we think, second of all, the weird thing about your Kenyan example is that we have an example that comes from Ethiopia, that is not factually spurious, that basically tells you that there are twice as many Ethiopian doctors working in Chicago than actually work in Ethiopia at the moment. We think that is where the problem lies. There are not enough professionals in that country, and they have to go elsewhere. So no thank you. So what we think ultimately is the problem is that you have a situation whereby, by introducing this motion, you allow the broadest hopes for developing nations to develop, those most entrepreneurial, those most highly skilled. And what you say is, unfortunately, your economy isn't big enough to cope with you, therefore you just go over here. By removing the disincentive, by removing caps on countries, by removing you know, skill systems to allow people to enter those countries, what you ultimately do is allow everyone to leave. So under the status quo, yes, people do leave, yes, Bosnians do leave and say go and work in the UK, we think what's made much worse is a situation whereby now everybody in Bosnia, all the skilled Bosnians, can leave. We think at least under the status quo, there is some basically basic provision of, of, high, of, sort of high quality labour people who are trained in Bosnia. We think under your system, that simply falls down. Yes, please. What we see is that when you have free immigration, people can leave their country to seek education abroad, develop a higher net amount of people who have high skills, and then even if not all of them come back, we still have more skilled workers there. Okay, so we just think that's like simply not the case. We think ultimately for an economy to develop, it's fundamentally important that that economy develops itself. We don't think it's right that it should, it should depend on other nations to generate the public services Sorry. that it requires. We think that's not a conducive strategy for development. Ultimately, what we think is important for development, ultimately we think that the way that developing nations develop best is by basically training their own professionals, generating employment for their own professionals, and having their own professionals generate economic growth within their own country. We think a system whereby what developing nations do is train skilled professionals and then they all leave and send back tokenistic kind of like remittances ultimately doesn't help African nations, it doesn't help Eastern European nations, and it doesn't help South American nations. We think basically what today's what did Team England today have ultimately given you a, a case which they deem to be pragmatic. They've given you a case today that says, well, this is great for the developing world, and it's great for immigrants. We think what they fundamentally failed to do is appreciate that there are people in countries who do not travel to developed nations. We think there are people who are left behind, and we think that these are people who are left to suffocate in the wasteland. We think by depriving developing nations of these skilled professionals, of these entrepreneurial professionals, what you do is only condemn them to a cycle of deprivation from which ultimately it makes it dramatically more difficult for them to get out of by removing this incentive for them to leave. So ladies and gentlemen, Mr Chairman, what we ultimately believe is that unchecked immigration harms the countries immigrants move to and ultimately because it harms the countries that they leave behind, it's for those reasons we implore to vote on behalf of Team Scotland today. Thank you.
I thank the second opposition speaker for his speech, and I now call upon um, Greg to continue the case for the proposition. Ladies and gentlemen, we quite enjoyed Alfie's speech today because we really thought it showcased some of the best that England as a country has to offer. <laughs> but, but moreover, we think it is his birthday, and as such, we think it's only fair to give him the afternoon off. And that's why today I'm going to be looking at this debate in four key issues. Firstly, I'm going to look at rights. Then I'm going to look at sort of the viability of this motion and the economic consequences. Then I'll look at what we think are really important group, illegal immigrants, and how that hasn't really been dealt with by Team Scotland. And lastly, I'm going to look at the social and cultural implications. So let's look at rights. Because what happened first off in Scotland's case is they dismissed this because they said, well, all we have to do is 